Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McCallan. The Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center reports a new study on pregnancy outcomes for visually impaired women in Washington state. This study ranges in experiences from accessing prenatal care services to childbirth. Here to talk about the study is Dr. Melissa Schiff. Dr. Schiff is an experienced epidemiologist and obstetrician. She's also a professor in the Department of Internal Medicine, Division of Epidemiology, Biostatics, and Preventative Medicine at the University of New Mexico School of Medicine in Albuquerque. She'll also talk about how visually impaired women can have a successful pregnancy and start a family. Welcome to the show, Dr. Schiff. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. As you'd mentioned, I'm a professor in internal med um, at the University of New Mexico. And uh, one of the areas of research that I've spent a lot of my career working on is maternal health and pregnancy outcomes. And that's what um, one of the reasons that we started working on this study. Um, here in New Mexico, I've been working with um, uh, some researchers here looking at maternal um, implementing maternal health safety um, projects around the state in order to try and prevent maternal complications and things like that. And I've also worked with our New Mexico Department of Health on um, prevention of maternal complications as well as maternal mortality, which is um, a very rare complication that can happen. So I've been here at University of New Mexico for four years. And uh, prior to that, I was at University of Washington in Seattle, and that's where this study was taking place a number of years ago. All right. What was your inspiration for conducting the study on specifically visually impaired pregnant women and their experiences? Sure. Um, so one of the inspirations, I think, was that um, my colleague, Dr. Beth Mueller, and I have collaborated on a number of studies looking at pregnancy outcomes among women in Washington state. And we noted um, during a lot of our research that there were very few studies looking at um, pregnancy among women with disabilities. So Dr. Mueller wrote um, a grant at, which was funded and we were able to get some uh, data um, with our health department in Washington state looking at birth certificates and hospitalization data. And we were able to look at a variety of women with um, different types of disabilities. And one of the areas that I was most interested in is women with sensory disabilities, including hearing impairment as well as visual impairment. So we decided to start working on that study and we collaborated with um, one of our colleagues in rehabilitation medicine named Dr. Crane. She was also very interested in pregnancy in women with disabilities. So because of this, go ahead. That's fantastic. Let's talk about that study. The study sure. says that because of mobility limitations, there's also communication limitations. The affected women might have neonatal and, per and perinatal outcomes. Why is that the case? And can you tell us what neonatal and perinatal are? Sure. Yeah. Our study was interested in looking at adverse perinatal and neonatal outcomes. So um, the definition for those are any kind of patients that can happen in, during pregnancy. So perinatal are those that happen the time of pregnancy or, be, or uh, during pregnancy or labor and delivery. 
um, things like preterm labor, that type of thing, and neonatal outcomes are those that can occur in the newborn, things like breathing problems that might require some oxygen. Um, so the, what we were um, concerned about in women with visual impairment was that they may have increased risk about these types of outcomes because of not getting the information that they needed. Um, and so a lot of information during prenatal care is, is distributed either verbally or in written form. And so women were with visual impairment were not able to get the information they needed um, from the written uh, handouts and things that are um, sent out. They may not get as much information as needed about things like testing, looking for warning signs, um, that type of thing. And that was hard. You, you even mentioned in the study about the bruises on their ankles. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, one of the things that we found in our studies that women with visual impairment were at increased risk of something called preeclampsia and severe preeclampsia. Um, and one of the signs and symptoms of that is swelling in their ankles, not necessarily bruising. So they may retain some extra water and their ankles might be swelling up. What about getting to the healthcare sites, um, you know, for, for all the prenatal care, the ultrasound and the coaching and advising on how mm -hmm. to take care of your newborn before they're born. Um, I understand there are some challenges with that too. Talk about that. Sure, yeah. So one of the things that um, I was just recalling is when we have um, women that come in for their very first prenatal visit, um, oftentimes they're given out a packet of written information um, with lots of information about different types of testing and things like that. So if women are not able to, with visual impairment and I be able to read that, I think it's um, going to be difficult to get some of the information. Prenatal care involves lots of education about normal changes that occur during pregnancy, normal growth of the fetus, preventive health information about risky behaviors like smoking, alcohol, or, or drug use. Um, and also, as we talked about, assessment of warning symptoms as they go along during the pregnancy that may indicate problems. So if this information isn't communicated in a way that's um, accessible to women with visual impairment, it can be more challenging for women um, to understand and take action on these um, um, information that, that's really needed in order to have a healthy pregnancy. What are some of the other results of the study? We're talking about induced labor, labor premature birth, and even the C-section. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we, um, it, our study was a fairly large study. We included um, about 230 women with visual impairment, and we did see some small increased risk of preterm labor and preterm delivery. And also women with visual impairment um, were more likely to stay in the hospital for three days or more after delivery. But one of the, I think the most important finding from our study was that the majority of women with visual impairment and their infants didn't have any increased risk of complications compared with, to women without visual impairment. So the majority of pregnancies were normal. They didn't have any complications and, and they did well um, in the post-delivery period. Let's say um, uh, that, that our listeners, some of them are going to have babies, or we've got also the husbands whose um, visually impaired wives are going to have babies. How do you, what is sort of advice, what sort of process should they go through to have a successful pregnancy outcomes? Let's spend some time to talk about this, to have successful pregnancy outcomes going from uh, finding out you're pregnant and taking the steps to find out if you're pregnant to having that brand new baby or twins or threesome or foursome. 
Okay, great. Yep, that's a great question. Um, well, one of the things um, in uh, obstetrics and gynecology that we really recommend for women, if they're planning to start a family, that they should talk with their healthcare provider before they get pregnant. And this is called preconceptual counseling. And this is a time when they can go over all of their health information um, and different types of testing and things that can be done prior to even attempting to get pregnant. We also would recommend that they start on prenatal vitamins um, because this can prevent some um, birth defects um, that if they're taken very, very early in pregnancy. So we advise that for women and also to look at some risk behaviors to try and um, decrease those before attempting the pregnancy. And then once you get, go ahead. What, what sort of behaviors are you referring to if appropriate? Yeah, so I would say things like if women um, are um, using tobacco or smoking, um, those types of behaviors, if they can get on medication or counseling in order to decrease that. Um, we also recommend that women don't um, use alcohol during pregnancy. So that would be uh, an important advice to um, indicate to women. And also women who have um, substance use issues um, to talk with their providers about that in order to get on appropriate treatments and have those um, types of behaviors under control prior to getting pregnant. So don't smoke, don't drink. Exactly. Um, all right. So uh, what about the, what about pregnancy tests? I know some women out there try pregnancy tests. Are there any accessible ones out there that our listeners might try? That's a great question. Um, as far as I know, the pregnancy tests are usually indicated with um, a visual display. And so women with visual impairment, I think that would be somewhat difficult for them to look at that. I don't know of other tests that are available that wouldn't necessarily use uh, kind of visual cues, um, but I think that'd be great to look into or to also do a test with somebody who isn't visually impaired so they can note the results. Now, um, when you go to the doctors to check out your new baby, see how they're growing through the ultrasound, Will the doctor, the OBGYN, give them, be able to give them instructions or can you ask them to give you instructions about what you're going to do as you're doing the procedure and describe what's on the screen? Sure, exactly. I think, um, I think that happens for pretty much all women, though I, though I do agree that for women with visual impairment that that would be most important. Um, most women, when they look at the screen um, and ultrasound, can't really understand or see what's happening because it looks like lion, black dots, things like that. But I do think it's important for women when they go in for the ultrasound to let the ultrasonographer know um, that they have um, visual, so they can make more of a really description of what they're seeing on the screen and also explaining the test, the ultrasound at the time that they're doing it. So that the woman and her partner, whoever's there, can get as much information as possible what the results of the ultrasound are showing at the time. Now, um, what do you recommend women do during the pregnancy as they go into three to six months of pregnancy? Basically, they're they're going to have to, you know, sit down and relax and not do any big movements, right? Um, actually, we recommend that women can continue on with their usual activities. Um, during pregnancy. I mean, there are women that are exercising before pregnancy, running and doing other kinds of forms of activity, swimming, things like that, and they can continue on doing those things. Um, as they get later in the stages of pregnancy, some, you know, um, more aerobic types of exercises like running and things get to be a little bit more difficult, but there are women that continue on with those as well. So we, we recommend, you know, eating a good nutritious diet, continuing on with exercise, um, 
And then, you know, these things about getting prenatal care as they go along so that we can monitor what's happening. Now, aren't there special exercise classes for um, women who are going to have babies that the visually impaired can participate in um, as they get closer to the nine months um, where they like do not little sort of exercise classes and little practices and like sort of like, you know, push, push (laughs) like they do on the TV. I see. Right. Yeah. So there's like different kinds of classes that we're talking about here, Brian. One of them is um, there are specific exercise classes, things like yoga or other types of things that are geared towards um, moms that are going to be having babies. Um, and then there's other classes that are um, prenatal um, uh, childbirth education classes that really prepare women and their partners or support people for um, giving birth. And so they give much information about the labor and delivery process and talking about breathing patterns and different types of um, medication options that are available for pain relief, those types of things. I think both of those kinds of classes um, are available and would be really important for women to take part in um, in order to get all of the information that they need to prepare themselves. All right, let's go forward ahead to the big days when the baby's finally going to come. Okay, how should our listeners prepare for that? And what sort of symptoms should they look for to say, okay, it's time. Get me to the hospital quick. Right, right. And so that's, I think, where the the, um, childbirth education classes come in really um, are really important so that women understand when what the signs and symptoms are of labor starting and when they can stay home and when they should start moving towards going to the hospital. So um, I think one of the things I think that's really important for all women, especially women with visual impairment, is to have a tour of the labor area um, before they go into labor so they know what to expect. They have their room and have described what the setup is and that type of thing to make them feel more comfortable once they get into the hospital. All right. Now, um, whether um, they're, they're about to deliver through natural birth or C-section, um, what advice do you have for them for that big moment? Right. Well, it's a process. It's usually not a moment. Um, and so I think, again, as we talked about, childbirth education classes are really helpful. Mm-hmm. I do think that it's really important for women to have a support person, at least one support person there during the time of labor and delivery. So that could be their partner. Um, it could be a family member. Um, one of the also, another thing that I was also going to recommend is um, there are specially trained um childbirth uh, kind of participants called doulas that um, some women are having during labor and delivery in the the labor and delivery area to help with um, the labor process and advocating for the woman, that type of thing. And doulas are very trained, very well trained in in the process of labor and delivery and know the different stages and how they can help women best um, have a really great labor and delivery um, uh, experience. All right. Post, what additional advice do you have once they, you know, hey, they have the baby, stay in the hospital a little bit and finally get to come home? Right. Um, I think it's really important for all women in the postpartum period after delivery when they get home is to have support people around their partner or family members or both in order to help with newborn care. Um, also, so it's important um, prior to the delivery to have a pediatrician or family medicine 
um, provider lined up so that they can be um, checking on the baby and also coming back for their OB visits or their postpartum visits with their OBs um, to make sure that their um, things are going well. Also, I think um, sometimes uh, a lot of women really are interested in breastfeeding and that can be a little bit challenging to get started. But I think having um, support people there, lactation specialists or women who've had experience like their doula or our midwives um, can be really helpful for that type of, um, for the, the, the really in the immediate postpartum period. So are you planning any future research in this area of uh, visually impaired pregnant women and their families? Um, at this point, we're not planning any additional work, but we're really hoping that our research will inspire other investigators in various other locations to do some additional work. So our data really was um, focused on administrative data that's already pre-existing. Um, but I think it would be great to do some prospective studies where they could, where investigators could enroll women um, with visual impairment and follow them and get much more detailed information. I think that would be also very helpful and a nice addition to our study. Are there any um, future improvements that you th think may be implemented for the experience of blind and visually impaired pregnant women from pregnancy to childbirth? Improvements now. Right. Yeah, I think that's a really great question. I think... Um, there are a couple areas that we were really interested in, in looking at for improvements. One is that um, our team, our research team, is not really aware of any special prenatal education materials for women with visual impairment. So I think that's an area that would be really important to investigate and look into. Things that would be materials that would involve both hearing and touch would be useful, I think, for women with visual impairment. Um, also, another area that would be possible support groups for women with visual impairment so they could discuss um, with other similar women and families of their concerns and be able to get the support that they need and maybe helpful hints, that type of thing. One final area I just wanted to mention was, um, I think education on providers as well as nurses on understanding more of the special needs of women with visual impairment during the labor and delivery process and the prenatal process. And Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, yes, I guess one thing would be my colleagues and I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity to speak today. And uh, I'm really uh, encouraged and um, enthusiastic and about having you help us get our information out to the uh, one of our most important audiences to hear um, the results of our study and uh, what that means for women and their families with visual impairment. Well, Dr. Schiff, this was very informative and we hope our listeners are gonna have successful pregnancies and happy new families in the years to come. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and your and your uh, listeners. You're so welcome. And before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website. That's speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. My show archive is at acbradio.org slash speaking dash out dash four dash dash blind. Please note that there is a link located at the top half of the page and below the heading that says Home Speaking Out for the Blind, where you can subscribe to the podcast feed and listen to Speaking Out for the Blind shows, ranging from episode 94 to the present. You may also access the podcast feed at speaking-out-4-blind.pinecast.co. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. 
Thanks for listening. And remember to speak out. Here at ACB Radio Mainstream, we are always working to improve the quality of our programming. If you have any feedback about anything you have heard here on ACB Radio Mainstream, please let us know by sending an email to support at acbradio.org. That's support at acbradio.org. You are listening to ACB Radio Mainstream, connecting the blind community. ACB in action, where the heart and soul of ACB shines. They're working on the front lines and behind the scenes at all levels of leadership throughout our organization. Here's our opportunity to sit at the virtual table and learn about these movers and shakers among us. I'm Cindy, and I invite you to join me on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. for ACB in action. Remember BPI? Oh yeah, Blind LGBT Pride International. They're a special interest affiliate of ACB. Yes, they are the ones doing all these cool things at convention. Guess what they're up to now? Do tell. Their own show. It's called Pride Connection. That's great, but what if I'm not a part of the LGBT community? This is a show for everyone. Actually, non-LGBT and non-disabled folks are known as allies, and they are a huge portion of BPI's membership. Everyone is welcome. So what kinds of topics can I expect from Pride Connection? Fun and relevant topics for everyone, from blindness to LGBT education, technology to advocacy. So when will Pride Connection take place? Every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to tune in so we can all connect and learn while having fun. Pride Connection on On ACB ACB Radio Radio Mainstream. This is Cindy Van Winkle, Membership Services Coordinator. If you are not already part of the ACB family, you can join us by going to acb.org or call us at 612-332-3242 and we'll help you join our community. This is Daryl Lukes, inviting you to join me for my new show on ACB Radio Interactive. It's called The Classical Show. It's on every Wednesday, starting at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Each week, I'll play some great classical music for you. I'll be playing everything from solo chamber works to large orchestral works. Everything from composers such as Bach and Handel through Copeland, Shostakovich, Vaughan Williams, and just about everything in between. I hope you can join me for my new show. It's called The Classical Show. It's on every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on ACB Radio Interactive. Connecting the blind community around the world. This is ACB Radio. Radio. 